Amen. My name is Ben, one of the pastors here at Hope Church. Glad you're with us. If you've got a copy of the scriptures, you can turn or tap your way to Psalm 124. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be all over, but we're going to really focus on Psalm 124. Uh, and if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please don't panic. We'll have those words on the screen for you. Okay, so listen, as a pastor, uh, especially as a pastor that has to cover half of his face, I've got to try and keep you interested in what's going on and keep you focused on what's going on. Uh, and it feels like I've got an arm tied behind my back. There's always an excitement about preaching something new or nothing's new. It's all 2,000 years old. It's all Bible. But, but giving you perspective on something we haven't talked about recently. Because there's this kind of rut of like we're saying something I said last week or I'm saying something you've heard me say multiple times and there's a part of you that says, okay, you're trying to prove to me the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I already agree with you. And yet, when I have to decide what to preach on, sometimes that stuff is just continual. It happens over and over again. I have to talk about it over and over again. And the reason I have to talk about it over and over again is because God, who's in charge of this whole thing, keeps putting it in front of us over and over again. <laughs> not my fault. It's not even my um, choice. And then, once submitted to it, I find it to be my joy. I, I, I want to preach the gospel all the time. And yet, when I preach it, to Christians, there's an aspect of their reaction that makes me think about this guy, G.K. Chesterton, writer, long dead, uh, but he, he's, he's fantastic. He's really funny. And he talked about how Lord Byron, who's a fancy British uh, poet person, said the whole world can be divided into two groups, the boring and the bored. What he meant by that was there are us stuffy, intelligent men of the world who have seen everything and therefore are impressed by nothing. And then there are you simple peasant people who are surprised by, enjoy everything, but really small things. And we find you boring. And Chesterton brought out the point that I'd much rather be the boring than the bored. The boring greets the miracle of the sunrise with a song, almost with surprise. Where to the board, the sunrise is almost a nuisance. And miracle after miracle can be put before them, and slowly but surely they just get further and further away from any kind of recognition, any kind of understanding. They get hardened. And so in the Christian life, when we have baptisms that by God's grace happen all the time, or Lord's Supper, which by his command happened regularly, we find that we are having to talk about again and again the symbols of what is central to our faith, namely the gospel. And yet, when I key up these things to talk about them, I can see every now and again the Christian saying to me, listen, I know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. Well, I'm saying with, I think, the authority of the Holy Spirit, back to you, yeah, be happy about that. How, I'm asking myself this on a regular basis, do I continue to push when everything is so difficult? How do I get you to continue to push when daily your, your apathy is tempted 
to grow? Well, we have to do the same thing. We go back to what God keeps trying to to grab our chins and put us right before, which is the miracle of his love in the gospel, the miracle that, though things right now are crazy, And the world just seems to be vomiting on us all kinds of awful new things to dodge or endure. Yet, things will not always be like this. That he he doesn't intend to leave us here, but he, he intends to. He's made a way for us to be with him forever. Now I can feel fear and anxiety, but then... I'll be his forever. Now I take the good things that he gives me and I I break them down into pieces and I build little idols out of them and I say, this hamburger is going to make me feel happy. This relationship is going to make me feel secure. I'm not going to look to God and worship him. I'm going to worship instead my job or my family. I break and I make these little idols and they shrink my world down and they crush me. But then I'll be in his presence where his presence is such that there's not even shadows, much less darkness, because it gets into every nook and cranny. You can't get away from it, and it brightly shines before you all the time. Now, and this is the main sort of illustration from the text that we're using, death swirls around you like water, and it climbs all the time. How long can you tread before you drown? But then death will be no more. We'll have a body that's remade, new, and yet somehow clearly still you. Part of this world that the scripture says is groaning right now with its desire to be remade. Oh, how, how do you not sing at the sunrise, though it happen every day? I want to get there. I want to pass through the waters. And that gospel story is what he gives so beautifully in these psalms. And so we're going to read them. We're going to feel them. And I want you to really feel them. And if you say that's as old as Christmas, I know about that. Okay. Though it be repeated as regularly as Christmas, you should still find your joy in it. Because it's as glorious as Christmas. Now, in these psalms, the Israelites would would sing these specific psalms. So it's it's called the psalms. And again, mask, you're going to have to try and catch my consonants. The psalms of ascent. What they meant by that was they would sing them as they ascended to Jerusalem. Physically, Jerusalem's up, they're down. So they got to walk up to Jerusalem. They ascend to Jerusalem. And these psalms of ascent are metaphorically taking this ascent, this literal climb to Jerusalem, and showing the joy of the climb to Jerusalem. Meaning, the way in which we go from where we are, janky, terrible, death-ridden, to where we will be perfect with Him forever. Listen to how they sing. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side... Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord that was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. 
when their anger was kindled against us, then, watch this, the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. They're singing. And what are they singing as they walk to Jerusalem? They're singing a song of salvation. This is what you have to see. This is what you have to hear. Wake up. Hear this. The Lord has saved them. That's what it's saying. That's what they're singing. They're singing that the Lord has saved us. It's past tense. It's already completed. Talking in the first service about how one of my lovely little daughters, and this happens to a lot of people, gets a little bit confused about the past tense, and even if something's already past tense, she'll throw on an extra ED just to make sure. So you're not saved, you're saved dead. That's really helpful for us that just zoom past the fact that it's already completed. The enemies that are surrounding us. Often when people read the Bible, if you read the commentators on the Bible, what they generally do is they try to say the Bible is very small, meaning it only really applied to the people who originally wrote it or read it. And so it's talking about enemies. Well, we know they were talking about the Canaanites who were masked on their borders ready to invade. But the Bible says no. The Bible says I'm really about everybody all over all time. So the enemy is not just the ancient Israelite enemy, but it is the enemy that faces us even today. And it's not political enemies. It's way bigger than that. The enemy that he's describing is the one that Jesus decided to work against in his ministry. When Jesus came, they all expected him to take apart Rome, because Rome was a political oppressor over Israel. And they said, yes, our enemies, deliver us from our enemies. And they assumed that they were, he was going to take apart Rome. But Jesus set his sights much higher or much lower. And he didn't defeat Rome. He defeated death itself. Because the enemies that were coming to bring death to these people weren't just coming with a sword. Jesus knew that the sword of the Sabian or the sword of the Philistine would kill them. But so would old age. So would sickness. So would starvation. So would death claim every Israelite, whether Rome did it or Babylon. No, the problem wasn't Rome. The problem is not political oppression did you hear that? I don't know what your world's like right now. The problem in your life is not political oppression. The problem in your life is so much bigger. If it was political, Jesus would have been political. Instead, he goes after death itself. Death, which is God's reaction. But it's death that has been co-opted by. It's death that has been used by the enemy like a club to attack, to beat you. The scripture is clear from the beginning that the enemy is working against us because he wants to kill us. But when you look in the beginning of scripture in Genesis, the enemy didn't have to kill Adam and Eve with fangs or by attack. All the enemy had to do was move Adam and Eve from a posture of obedience into a place of disobedience. And death would come inevitably. If you're like me, when you go into our canyons, you can't help but see gigantic 
boulders that have rolled down from the top at some point in the past. If you're like me, hopefully you're more sensible, but if you're like me, you really wish that you could see that same thing happen when you're up in the canyon. Oh my gosh, how cool would it be to watch one of those boulders that's the size of a house, the size of an RV, not like a little pull-behind, pop-up kind of, no, like a full red-blooded American RV-sized gigantic boulder that comes rolling from the sky down, and you can, you can feel it, and you can hear it more than you can even see it as it just boom, 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 and it rolls down until eventually it comes down, bam, final resting place. And I love to think of it because of the force of it, the magnitude of it is just so grand. And I do want to see it, but I want to see it from like as far back as you can be and actually still see it, like a thousand yards or whatever, whatever the visual is where I can see it but still be far away. But I do want to see it. And part of why I want to see it is when you get close and you imagine what that's like, you can feel a choking sort of panic of what it would be like to see something like that coming down on you. The enemy did not have to crush us. All he had to do was tempt us. Because God already said, if you eat the fruit, you'll surely die. You disobey me, you sin, you will surely die. All he had to do was tempt. And that temptation then moved them over and put them directly under that hammer fall that you and I are currently under. That's the point of Scripture. One of the big themes here is that you and I have disobeyed a holy God, and that's not a good thing. And the judgment of God and the, the wrath of God sits over the head of those sinners. So, why are these people singing? The water's rising. Why are these Israelites in song? Well, Israel had a thing about water. So, so when you're reading through the, the scriptures, you're going to see a lot about water. And it's, it's helpful to understand what they were thinking about when they were talking about water. In Psalm 23, you have still waters. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Ooh, peaceful. You think about a lake day. You think about calm. You think about sweet. Psalm 1 talks about a tree that's it's planted by a stream. And that stream is able to give that tree what it needs, the sustenance it needs to be able to produce its fruit in its season. Beautiful. But is that how Scripture normally talks about water? Well, water usually, or the seas, waters, are a raging, chaotic, dark force. In Genesis, you have the story of Noah with the, or Moses, Noah, yep, Noah with the flood. You guys should get a real pastor. Noah <laughs> with the flood. God has just created. Man has totally rebelled. His rebellion has risen up like a stench before God. And what does he do? He unmakes. How does he do that? Floodwaters. You get into Job. God is speaking to Job, and he's describing his creation, and he's describing the wildness of his creation. And what does he talk about in the waters? He talks about the smoking nostrils of Leviathan, this beast beyond imagining that turns the water white with the thrashing of its gargantuan body. No, the waters aren't peaceable. The waters aren't an adventure. The Jews saw the water as dark and chaotic and filled with beasts, 
John, the thoroughly Jewish Jew, who wrote Revelation, was given these visions. God spoke to him in a language he could understand, gave him pictures of the enemy coming from the waters. The dragon who goes to try and eat the woman and eat her child stands on the shore of the sea after having poured out waters in order to end that woman and her child. A picture of Mary, a picture of the church bringing forth Christ. You have the beast of revelation that rises from the sea. In Exodus, you have the people and they are crushed between two forces. You have Pharaoh riding on the one side and what do you have on the other? You have the sea, the Red Sea. And what's going to stop that hammer blow? Isaiah 51, it's the song of all the church. Was it not you who dried up the sea? (laughs) The sea, this chaos, this death, that swirling, was it not you who dried up the sea? The waters of the great deep who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with, you know, boredom. Gospel, yeah, got it. No, 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 no. Singing, everlasting joy shall be on their heads. They're going to obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Bored, sorrow and sighing. Not bored, but maybe boring. Oh my gosh, gladness and joy. Psalm 136 says this very similarly. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. Miracle of salvation. Miracle of God's love. Miracle that God's love is not only on you, but it's on you steadfastly. How do you cross the waters? How do you get that salvation? Back to 124. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. The predators, this water, not given us as prey to their teeth. We've escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord has saved us from the waters. He saved us from our enemy, the lion, He snatched you back away from his schemes. How? Because the snare is broken. Now, I hate to break it. If you follow this, believe this, love this, put yourself under this, you still one day will die. Whoops. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And yet, what does this say? That though you pass through the snare, you pass through the snare. What's a snare? Well, if you ever watched Netflix, I know none of you do, um, but I do. Uh, uh, COVID, uh, before COVID, that Disney Plus was coming out, and they're going to have all of the Marvel stuff and all of the Star Wars stuff and all of Disney stuff, and people were writing articles like, "Good luck, Netflix, you're done." And then COVID happened, and Netflix was like, "Come on back, come on back." And millions of people just spend millions of hours absorbing everything on that exa- inexhaustible list of entertainment. Well, one of the shows on Netflix is called Alone. It's about these survival experts that go out alone, and they have to then survive as well as they can. And they set up snares, and this is hopefully as close as I'll ever be to having to deal with snares, because, you know, Smiths, I'd much rather have that. But they had 
these circles of wire that had a little hook in them, a little snare in them. And they'd set them in very strategic places because their eyes, they could determine where the squirrels were running or whatever. And they would put this snare right there and all of a sudden, shoop, and they could catch it. The only way they couldn't is if the squirrel didn't go through it or if the snare was broken. How does the snare get broken? We're walking to Jerusalem. We're trying to get to that new city. How do we get there? We sing with joy because, look at some Psalm 130. Now, I got to share the gospel recently with a guy, and all he wanted to do was talk about how different the Old Testament is from the New. Meaning, in the Old Testament, you've got this dark, wrathful God. He's crotchety. He's angry. And he's mean. In the New Testament, you've got this really sweet God because it's Jesus. He's just like the paintings of Jesus. You know, he's very just cool. He's fresh-faced, and he's happy, and he's gentle. He's gentle. And how do you put those two together? What kind of idiot tries to put those two together? And I'm trying to explain to him why it is that we see their continuity, not the discontinuity. If God brings a new word through the Jesus, that new word needs to be flush with everything he said in the past, Right? God's smart. He knows what's coming. He's not going to say something and then 10 minutes later have to change his mind like I do with my kids. No, he knows what's up. So when he writes the Old Testament and he knows what's coming with Christ in the New, those things are going to fit together flush, hand in glove. Do they? Read Psalm 130. If you know the gospel and you're already bored by it, look at, look at Psalm 130. This isn't written by the Apostle Paul. It's just... If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, sins, if you should count our sins, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be honored, loved, feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I'm going to hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more and watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is plentiful. Well, plentiful what? Plentiful pay for your good behavior. Plentiful, uh, plentiful desire to honor you for your incredible splendor. Plentiful redemption. And he's going to redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That is so thoroughly New Testament that you're going to have to check and make sure what part of the Bible it's in. God has always been about forgiving and finding a way to redeem those who have run from him. And I've I got to say, that includes you and me. That's both of us. That's all of us. We're all in this together. We've run from him. We've rebelled against him. And now we've put ourselves directly under death. How do we escape from that snare? Well, he has made a way to redeem his people. It is such that the Psalms are always looking forward. They're always predicting, hoping, having faith in one who will come to make a way to really redeem God's people. 
How does that happen? Well, we now on this side are able to look back at Jesus and understand how it happened. It happened in the most unimaginable way. That instead of making the rock disappear or allowing the rock to just fall, Jesus came, he moved us out of the way, and then he stood in our place. Jesus, who was without sin. Jesus, who is God's own son, God himself, stands in our place. And the freight train of God's wrath slams into him instead of you or me. And how do we do that? How do we buy that sacrifice? You can't buy it. Jesus isn't going to prostitute. He's not, he's not, it's not something precious that you can just buy. No, he bestows it on you in love. He gives it to you by grace. You receive it from him by faith. And if you do that, if you have done that, if you have seen that, if you have walked through a broken snare, then you should rejoice. How does this work? So incredible is God's love that he puts himself under that rock. And you see in the gospel stories as they're talking about Jesus going to die for us, going to the cross for our sin, that over and over and over again, he's committed to making this happen. Over and over and over again, he understands that he can get off the train, but he decides not to. Over and over and over again, it's confirmed for us in the Gospels that God could have stopped this. This wasn't the enemy's scheme that finally somehow bested God. This was God's free, sovereign choice to die for you and me. Now, have you received that? Here's how you can tell. We're about to do a baptism. We're going to have a baptism video where they're going to talk about what it is that they're doing and why it is they're doing this. And many people around the world take the things that go on in the church and they use them like stairs to climb to Jerusalem. They put all the things that we do in the church down and they lay them out and they try and construct from them some sort of a ladder to get to heaven. And they say, okay, baptism, that's going to be one of my steps. And I'm going to be faithful to be baptized. And because of my obedience, I'm taking a step up. And then they want me to give. Okay, I'll, I'll give. I'll find some little pennies or something I can give them. And then I'll take a step up. And they want me to serve. Okay, great. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a step up. And they, they feel like they're climbing to heaven. But that's not the Bible. The Bible says that Jesus took your place under that death because he loves you. And when you receive that gospel, you say to him, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. That's a quote from Song of Solomon. <laughs> it's talking about not an employee-employer relationship. It's talking about a love, a marriage relationship, where freely he gave and freely you receive because you are your beloved's, and he is yours. And I use that on purpose because Ken and Danny express their understanding of the gospel in very similar words. Is he your beloved? Are you blazing with joy and excitement about what God has done for you? 